Hello and welcome to a new episode of Markets and Morality, our eye show where we discuss contradicting opinions within the classical liberal free market tent. I will be your host, Adam Bartha, the head of international outreach here at the IA. This week's topic is very much a personal favorite of mine because it links theory and practice. I think it's very easy to be a pure libertarian as an academic, but if we want our ideas to be realized, we do need to influence people outside of our own bubbles as well. And in order to do that, we often need allies from across the political spectrum, at least for as long as libertarians are in 51% of the electorate. So today's discussion will be about what kind of alliances classical liberals should pursue. And in order to do that, I'm delighted to welcome Aaron Powell to the show. Aaron is the host of Reimagining Liberty, a show about the cosmopolitan forward-looking case for radical liberty. Aaron was formerly the director and editor of libertarianism.org, a project of the Cato Institute in Washington, DC. It's also great to have Lorenzo Montanari with us, who's the Vice President of International Affairs at the DC-based think tank Americans for Tax Reform and the Executive Director of the Property Rights Alliance. Lorenzo, Aaron, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you for the invitation, Adam. Aaron, I would like to start with the theoretical concept behind political alliances and get some definitions out of the way. So unlike Americans, we Europeans use liberal in the proper sense, meaning classical liberal pro-market, if you like, libertarian-leaning bunch. So having this sort of group in mind, what do you think or why do you think that most classical liberal-leaning politicians found themselves in the conservative group like the Republican Party rather than left-leaning groups like the Democratic Party? Were free markets more important to these individuals than freedom in the social domain? It's, it's not an easy question because a lot of it depends upon kind of historical accidents unique to the American experience. But broadly speaking, there are, I think, two phases where liberals in, in the European or the libertarian sense were drawn to ally at least with with Republicans and conservatives. The first of those was in the New Deal, was opposition to the New Deal um, and the the massive government intervention into the economy and just our everyday lives that that represented. So you picked, it wasn't necessarily that liberals agreed with Republicans, it was just they could find common cause against the rise of New Dealism. And the other one was then later in the 20th century, the the threat of communism in the Soviet Union and making common cause against that enemy. And, and the combination of those two things meant that those with a free market approach, those with a classical liberal approach, had spent enough time within Republican and conservative circles that they started just building out greater alliances with them. And then the the real partisan nature of American politics that we're, we're forced into this two-party system, it's very hard for independents to gain any traction, meant that there was a desire to basically make an alliance. We're going to pick a side hmm. and we're going to try to encourage, cultivate our ideas within that side against the other side. And whether this was wise during the New Deal or during the, the scares about communism, 
I think it has become considerably less wise now, given the shifting political landscape. I know that you're pretty skeptical about the libertarian conservative fusionism, and we will talk a lot about the future as well. Um, but sticking to the present for a moment mm -hmm. and maybe the near past, Lorenzo, I know that your work at ATR is very much focused on economic reforms, especially tax reforms, rather than um, social issues. Um, but my question to you is whether we think that conservatives are still better at realizing free market reforms uh, than others? Is it true that then the new area of conservatism that's more dominated by Trump's, Boris Johnson's, or Orban's rather than Reagan's and Thatcher's, conservatives still stand for pro-market reforms? Well, let me say that this is a very key question considering that uh, the current situation inside the modern conservative movement. I mean, the modern conservative movement, let's say, use this uh, label, uh, has never been a monolithic political bloc, uh, but always a network of different groups, uh, such as uh, paleoconservative, neoconservative, classic liberal, tra traditional social conservative, and so on. Until also recently, we are approaching, we, there is a new political uh, conservative thought, line of thought, the so-called national conservatives, led by Dr. Joran Azoni. Is a new conservative political group that mainly contrasts uh, and is in contrast to fusionism uh, mm -hmm. that has been led by the American intellectual uh, Frank Meyer or William Buckley in the, in the 60s that uh, was able to um, anticipate and make elected Ronald Reagan. However, um, I still believe that uh, fusionism can play an important role. Uh, I still believe that the classic liberal and libertarian conservative with all the differences inside should stay, still work together. Uh, I know that uh, there is a, this new wave of conservatives that try to split uh, the free market idea from the conservative idea. Um, in one way, Trump represents this approach, uh, Orban's this approach. Uh, but I mean, let's, Let's stay uh, stick to the fact. I mean, even if uh, from once in one way Trump has implemented the very bad uh, trade barrier policy, or as in is pushing for a uh, no Republican anti-immigration rhetoric, in one way he um, the 2017 Trump tax reform has been one of the most important economic reform implemented in the USA since Ronald Reagan. Mm. So I still want to believe that conservative can still play an important role in implementing free market reform, at least from the taxation side. Uh, even if there are some tendency uh, that uh, uh, in some conservative approach, they are criticizing uh, or they are not implementing a strong rule of law, for example. But uh, I still want to believe that, uh, um, I mean, I consider, sure. I, I consider myself a, a, a um, someone that follow and support the fusionistic approach. And I still believe that uh, there is still room uh, for this um, political approach and bring sure. together free market, uh, libertarian, conservative. Aaron, what's your attitude when it comes to taxation? Is the issue important enough for classical liberals to accept a lot of the anti-liberal positions of the Republican Party? or we basically have to measure up and you might conclude that, okay, economic reforms are not significant enough in order to justify fusionism in the future. 
taxation is important, but it's not the whole of liberty. And there are a lot of liberties that are as important as how much money the government's taking out of your paycheck. Mm. And and I think that there's a there's a tendency to overlook a lot of real impositions on liberty if people are willing to drop taxes. Mm. Uh, and and I'm also concerned that it seems like even on the tax reform, Republicans seem increasingly willing to use taxation and threats of tax breaks or removing them as a way to punish corporations that are behaving in ways that run counter to social conservative preferences and tastes. Mm. And and so even there, it feels like, yes, lowering taxes is important, but if what comes with it is a radical scaling back of gay rights, a, a virulently nationalist and anti-immigration agenda, a punishing of corporations for exercising freedom of association and freedom of speech, mm. a ramping up of a drug war, uh, and and an empowering of of police misconduct and so on. Like those are those are an extraordinary number of costs. And my worry is that we we may be willing to just overlook them if we think we can get some lower taxes and lower taxes are good, but there's a point at which the other stuff outweighs it. And you think we arrive to the point where the negative outweighs the positive when it comes to um, conservatism and- I think with a, a Republican party that seems legitimately committed to overthrowing the peaceful transfer of power in this country, which would, you know, had they succeeded on January 6th, that would have been the end of American democracy. Like that's a that's a pretty substantial cost, and it's one that doesn't appear to be fringe to you know a handful of weird people at the edges of the party. It seems to be the party's stated goal at this point, and so that's that's a pretty big cost. Mm. Lorenzo, you mentioned the importance of economic reforms, though, and it seems like especially on tax reform, it was the Republicans who pushed the agenda that we liked rather than the Democrats, but. If you know my colleague, Dr. Steve Davies, who's a historian at the Institute of Economic Affairs, um, he has the theory of political realignment. And his theory basically outlines that the future of political conflict will be about open versus closed societies rather than about economic questions, so rather than economic redistribution in general. So first of all, do you believe that he's right? Do you believe that the political realignment theory is correct? And if so, what are then the implications of this political realignment on our alliances in the future? Are you worried that the conservatives are going to be pushed into the corner of closed societies that might occasionally advocate for the tax reforms that we like, but as Aaron mentioned on all, all the other issues, basically the negatives will outweigh the positives? Well, there is always a risk that uh... It could be conservative. Any politician can be uh, can end up in a, in a bad uh, in a bad group. Uh, it's the same reason that uh, we ask uh, everyone be running for office to sign a pledge, a taxpayer pledge, that they swear they will never vote for any uh, law that implies tax uh, increase, because we don't trust uh, they they promise by voices. So we I, I cannot say that. Uh, I, I agree with you. Uh, considering what is happening in Ukraine, uh, I would prefer to think that the war is dividing itself more and more between liberal democracy 
so more open society versus autocracy from the other side. And in my opinion, the current war in Ukraine imply a new definition of a geoeconomics and geopolitical relationship. So I, I for example, I personally disagree uh, of the current narrative that uh, globalization is over, mm. but that we are entering in a, in a deglobalization era. Uh, on the contrary, because of the world is more and more divided uh, between uh, the liberal democracy block and autocracy block on the other side, I think there will be a decoupling within the, the globalization. Mm. So what I want to say is that uh, we may have a possible scenario with, uh, where there will be a new globalization among liberal democracy based on free market, accountability, transparency, common value, rule of law versus the globalism of autocracy based on chronic capitalism, lack of individual freedom, lack of transparency, and limited rule of law, if not limited property rights. So the question is how the supply chain will be reshaped between the globali globalization, the new globalization and globalism, between mm -hmm. liberal democracy and autocracy. I mean, the new globalization, I would say, led hopefully by liberal democracy, it will be based mainly on digital exchange, technology innovation, the globalization of ideas, knowledge. So even in this case, I see that, for example, there is a big uh, quest, open question to how fusionism, from my point of view, will able to reinvent itself within this uh, new scenario, global scenario. And you think that the conservative voices will be part of that kind of liberal democratic institutional structure and will endorse, if well, you like, uh, NATO for economic free trade? Or you think that some of these conservative voices who are already criticizing the Biden administrations for getting too involved with the Ukrainian situation may side with the anti-globalist, anti-liberal side? I hope no. I hope that the conservatives always stand uh, with uh, rule of law, democracy, uh, open society. That is not in contrast, from my point of view, uh, mm. to, uh, to the liberal democracy, because uh, I, I consider traditional conservative, Reagan conservative, so I mix between free market and I completely disagree in, uh, on implementation of any type of trade barriers. One of the reasons we create in 2019 the trade barrier index is because we, we really want to contrast the Trump trade barrier policy and demonstrate the protectionism, protectionism never works. Mm. Uh, same for the immigration. I agree with Aaron that, I mean, uh, we really need to contrast any type of anti-immigration. Uh, one since one, one reason, one, from one side is illegal immigration, but uh, even Trump was moving forward to limit the legal immigration, limit the green card, uh, uh, or the H-1B visa, you know? So this is something that is not uh, a traditional, from my point of view, conservative approach to immigration. We, if we believe in a free market, we need to believe in, in, in immigration. Immigration. I mean, uh, we cannot implement any type of uh, uh, anti-immigration law only because uh, it's still in work uh, from, you know? So um, mm. this is something that we definitely need. There is a risk of, uh, of this, um, type of uh, leaning policy for in, in some branch of the conservative, but it's more traditional. I mean, we know that the anti-immigration bloc in the United States are more pushing by the, the trade union traditionally. So um, 
So I really hope no. I see. I still want to believe that uh, Anglo-Saxon conservative approach uh, should still lead, uh, you know, uh, the centre-right uh, coalitions, uh, not only in the US but also in Europe, all over the world. Uh, this sure. might be. Yeah, I mean, again, coming back to you for a second, um, it's very clear that you dislike this conservative libertarian fusionism because you think that the negatives outweigh the positives. But if the conservatives are not the right allies for us classical liberals, and if we accept that classical liberals won't be the majority of the population, neither in the United States nor here in Europe, if they won't be the majority, the 51% of the electorate, then who should be our new political allies? Can we reach out to left-wing political parties and find common ground with them, green parties? Who should be that we're searching for? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it gets to, you started off by saying, let's define some terms. And I think it's, it is important to be clear that what fusionism in this sense means is not libertarians and classical liberals will work with conservatives. Because of course, they should like if there are conservatives who we think we can work with to advance the cause of liberty, we should work with them. Just as if there are if there are progressives on issues we think we can work with to advance the cause of liberty, we should work with them. What fusionism is is the belief that libertarians and classical liberals should pick a side and embed ourselves within it. We should so in the in the U.S. we should see ourselves as part of the Republican Party as a you know, a block within it as opposed to being independent and we should view ourselves as being of the right as opposed to being genuinely independent uh, which is of course a new thing like we said liberal we were liberals we like libertarianism originated on the left it's it was never a movement of the right it was a movement of the left against the right historically but what that means going forward is I think the most effective way for libertarians to approach policy change is to view themselves more as a special interest for liberty mm -hmm. as opposed to being members of one political party or another. So no, we should not have a counter fusionism with the Democrats of the left, but instead we should say, just as there are, there are lots of organizations, Americans for Tax Reform is one of them that has a particular issue that it's, it is working on or drug policy, you know, marijuana legalization is our organization's issue. Libertarians should view themselves as our issue is advancing liberty. And we will work with whoever we think on a given sub issue of that, we can advance that. So that might be conservatives on taxes, but it might be then mm -hmm. progressives on surveillance reform or police reform. You know, there, there are a lot of these, these issues. And so it's more picking on an individual issue basis versus saying we are members of this tribe against this other tribe. And what do you think should be the kind of founding pillar, or if you like, multiple founding <clears throat> pillars of this new approach? So at the moment, in the last couple of decades, I think it was very much free markets, right? There was the, we are the United States run by capitalist systems, and we are in stronger position to the Soviet Union uh, which has a communist socialist system. What do you think that the new founding pillars of the liberal libertarian movement should be? So I think markets remain a huge part of it because mm -hmm. markets simply are freedom of a, a deeply personal nature. They're, they're also a great engine of wealth creation. But you know, even if we found other engines of wealth creation, we shouldn't replace the freedom of markets necessarily with them because these are freedoms that matter to people. But at the same time, we should care about social freedoms 
deeply. And one of the worrying things is that I think a lot of conservatives supported markets when market outcomes were producing wealth, but but weren't really undermining conservative values and preferences and hierarchies. And what we've seen over the last several years, you know, what's going on in Florida with Disney and so on is an example of markets started generating outcomes that didn't align with conservative preferences. And a lot of conservatives, including a lot of leaders, said, okay, now I'm going to throw away my commitment to markets because my real underlying commitment was to these, these traditions and conservative values and so on. So I think it is it is centering what I would call like the genuinely liberal values of freedom and autonomy and radical self-authorship and people's ability to to construct the own, their own narratives of their lives and live them free from interference as long as they're not harming others. And that's going to include markets, but it's going to include a lot of things. And so as the conservatives drift further from those other things, we should be looking for opportunities to work with people who are committed as broadly as possible to those ideas. Lorenzo, are you optimistic? Do you think that some of these founding pillars are going to be reasonably popular within conservative circles? In one way, yes. I mean, I still believe, I mean, let, let's re, uh, rephrase the, 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 the word fusionism. Uh, I like to, uh, to call more leave us alone coalition. So it's, my, it's an even broader uh, uh, framework where uh, we need to work together to contrast uh, neo-Canadian policy, statalism, neo-socialism. This is the reason I, st I, I still believe that we are facing the same uh, let's call enemy uh, with I mean, fusionism was perfect to contrast communists. We are aware about that. It was a perfect combination. Uh, and now the time changed. We have different type of enemy, uh, like for example, was mentioned before globalism. So I still believe that if we are able to reshape a new type of fusionism, uh, including all the, uh, the differences that uh, Aaron was pointing out and, and I, some of them, I, I agree. I mean, for example, anti-immigration policy shouldn't be belong to the uh, traditional center-right uh, uh, coalition. Uh, but I think there is a, there is still a room to work together on that. I mean, uh, neo-Canadian policy are not being defeated. They are still leading the world. Uh, uh, the globalism that is not is basically the the, the bad ideology behind. Uh, behind the degeneration of the globalization. Uh, so we still need to, 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 uh, to avoid, um, I mean, working together needs to be also to fight protectionism. That is something that in, in, in the, I see there is a, an increasing uh, interest also in some small branch of the conservative, but because maybe they are losing the, uh, some uh, free market idea. And uh, I think, I, I, I mean, it's very clear, uh, I still believe that there is a, a lot to do together. Uh, mm. There are some differences, of course, but uh, there is it would be impossible to build up a monolithic political block where everyone agree. Uh, I think leave us con a long coalition is a, it could be single issues groups. Uh, everyone's fighting for their freedom, but the point is, let's keep improving. Let's keep expanding freedom in our society. And let's try to remind that we need to keep a limit government approach. Uh, this is for me is conservatism and being oh, fiscal conservatism. Let's put it in this way. Uh, and after there could be issues, uh, differences on social issues like abortion or, or legalization of drugs. It's fine, but uh, 
uh, we need to keep expanding freedom and uh, this is something that can happen together. Is the approach also workable here in Europe? I know that both of you are DC-based, but Lorenzo, you're very active in, in European countries yourself. Um, you have mentioned the tax reform as one of the main conservative success stories in the United States. But do we have European examples where the conservatives are equally uh, pro-market, at least in some regards? I mean, here in the United Kingdom, we have had a supposedly conservative government for quite a long time. Uh, my taxes are constantly increasing. Uh, welfare handouts are constantly increasing. Uh, free trade is not doing very well, uh, although there are some positive voices on that front. Um, so it's not a very free market or even pro-market approach that the Conservatives have implemented here in the UK. Do you think it's different in other European countries? Do we have positive well, examples uh, of liberalizing uh, reforms there? No, I, I, these, are, these type of risk of increasing protectionist policy, even inside the uh, centre-right or uh, conservative uh, government, is something we are experiencing uh, in the US, also even under Trump, uh, but also in some centre-right uh, government in Europe. Uh, this is a lack of political culture, in my point of view. Uh, and it's time maybe that uh, most of the politicians, they should go back and read books and refresh some idea. This is my... So we are doing a bad job as think tankers. We are not equipping them with the right well, idea. We, we always, uh, maybe we are also our thought, I don't know, but we need to communicate better our idea. But uh, Europe is a big and open challenge on that, you know, because you're also based there. And... Uh, uh, I'm often in, in, in Brussels like you, I mean, it's still difficult to uh, use term like a free market, even inside and in, among uh, center-right politicians, right. you know? So it's difficult because, uh, and it's happened several times, I'm using free market, they look at me like an alien, you know? So, and I'm supposed to speak with someone who's a center-right. So uh, again, there is a, a big lack of political culture, uh, People, they think they are centralized. Sometimes they're acting more as a neo-Canadian. And uh, this, the risk I see that I really don't like uh, uh, the narrative that the, the conservative, uh, they should detach from uh, liberalism or from a free market uh, idea. Uh, because you will have a consequence like having a, for a conservative leader increasing taxation or expanding mm -hmm. uh, uh, public spending so this is the consequence so these are reasons that uh, we stay to we need to stay together for this reason otherwise uh, uh, should we keep calling a center right uh, uh, a coalition that is, is increasing taxes right. or uh, affecting um, accountability uh, transparency rule of law this is not a question and that mm. this is something that as a think tank we need to work on that uh, also in, in, on the individual basis, you know, uh, is, it is impossible to educate, uh, let's put into the bracket, to educate the entire political party. But if we, if we work with individual politicians that there are, and there are a lot of individual politicians inside coalition that maybe they don't have a clear idea what does it mean being free market. I think there is a st there's still a room for improvement. And, but this is our job and this is what we try to do. Uh, so that's very example, similar to the system I that, that they're in. I conclude, I, I conclude, uh, sorry, I want to, want to take much of time, but uh, 
what we do most of the time also, um, I mean, we, we, as you know, we like to build coalitions among the different uh, branches of the conservative free market movement. We like to propose sometimes also the, when it's possible, the taxpayer pledge. So simple policy tool that if implemented, create a block inside even a political party. Uh, there are examples like in Greece uh, that uh, Alexander Skoros, uh, the leader of uh, uh, the free market think tank Affin, has been pushing and, and, and uh, promoting the taxpayer pledge in Greece. Sure. This is the a step forward to change the mentality among the center-right politicians. I mean, there is a lot to do, I mean, not only to contrast the center-left, but also the center-educate, make sure the center-right politician, they uh, learn and they implement right reform, you know? Sure. So this case-by-case -case basis is reasonably similar to what Aaron has also described. But I'm wondering, Aaron, whether there is kind of uh, an example where your theory was put into practice, where it's a case-by-case -case coalition, not with the conservatives, but with maybe left-leaning groups where classical liberals or libertarians have been successful in pushing for liberalizing reforms. Do you have any examples from the United States or anywhere in the globe where this other type of coalition building with non-conservative forces have worked that well? Sure. I think the big one in the US has been the, the ongoing rolling back of the drug war. Uh, the the legalization of drugs, which is a, a tremendous boon for individual liberty, both in terms of you know individuals being able to put in their body what they want to put in their body, but also just the the tremendous damage that fighting the drug war does to the country, to civil liberties, to minority rights, and so on. And that has largely come about through working often at the state level because there has been less traction at the federal level with left-leaning groups against more conservative intransigence against legalizing drugs. So I would point to that as I think the, the biggest and most impactful and still ongoing one you know, in, in recent memory. Yeah, I mean, the drug war has an impact on everything. So that's, yeah, hopefully it's going to be happening in more countries across the globe, not just the United States. Um, I'm aware that we are pretty short on time. So just one final question to both of you. Aaron, first to you, I would be very curious to hear your prediction for the future. So in 10 years time, if we're looking back at our conversation today, what do you expect? Are we going to live in a economically and socially freer Western liberal democracy, or is the situation going to get worse in the next 10 years? That's an awfully hard question. I want to be optimistic. I think a lot of it is what 10 years from now looks like is going to depend a lot on what two or three years now from now looks like. If we see in the next wave of elections, populists defeated, then I think liberalism and liberal institutions can reassert themselves. But if in you know the 2024 American election or in upcoming elections elsewhere, if the populist and anti-democratic forces win those, then I think things could go very poorly 10 years from now. And it is, it's way too close to call at the moment. I, I guess I want to be, I want to be optimistic, but I also really worry about what's going to happen in elections in the next few years. Lorenzo, what's your attitude? Are you a bit more optimistic than Aaron? 
Well, I am. I'm always optimistic, uh, even if uh, there is not a great sign to be optimistic. <laughs> but I agree. Uh, we need to see uh, also uh, what type of uh, uh, stain, for example, on the U.S. Ele midterm election. We we need to see what type of candidate, what type of politician will be elected. Uh, this is a big challenge. Uh, we need more free market, less protectionist politician uh, from both sides. Uh, but uh, I see that there is also a risk of a protectionism uh, raising inside the so-called conservative uh, movement in the US. Uh, we need to, uh, I mean, the question for, uh, for us as a free market conservative uh, is uh, how should we face the new challenge of liberal democracy? How should we um, face the new globalization as I described before? You know? mm -hmm. uh, because the rule of law, transparency, uh, sharing a common value, that, that doesn't necessarily mean the Western civilization, but it's, it will be part, but I hope Asian country, they embrace more and more uh, African rule of law, transparency, this is the common value that uh, if we believe in freedom, uh, we should embrace. Uh, so these are reasons that uh, uh, I want to be optimistic because uh, traveling around the world as you do, uh, being touched with uh, a lot of uh, uh, activists that are fighting for freedom, I, I see there is always a need to uh, a, a big claim for freedom, you know. This gave me optimistic on that. I don't see that there is a need. I don't see among the people a need of autocracy, but there is always need to more freedom in their life. No, so, uh, but this is up to us also. Uh, we cannot blame only politicians. We need uh, to work maybe harder as a think tank and, um, and to try to communicate maybe in a better way. What does it mean fighting for freedom? What does it mean freedom? freedom of, of speech, that something, we see that the freedom of speech has been affected most of the time through different hidden policy. Uh, it, it could be the tax harmonization, it could be the global minimum tax implement, that try leaning left government try to implement it at the, uh, the, uh, the global stage. It could be affecting uh, the suspension of a patent on COVID, COVID vaccine. Um, you know, there are, we need to, this is the real battle step by step we need to fight every day or over-regulation on digital economy. Uh, that mm, basically are, is a kind of a, a trade war between, in this case, European Union and, and uh, uh, American digital company, co uh, company like a DMA, DSA regulation. So if we- A lot uh, to resolve. A lot to resolve, you know, but I want to be optimistic because freedom will always prevail. <laughs> On this optimistic note, Lorenzo, Aaron, thank you so much for the discussion. And thank you to our dear audience as well for joining. If you are interested in continuing the debate, then please do so in the comment section below this video or by following IE London on Twitter. Also, special thanks to our donors without whom our work at the IE would not be possible. If you wish to contribute yourself and support our work, consider subscribing to our Patreon account where you can have a sneak peek and have exclusive contents uh, behind our Patreon subscribers wall. But for now, thank you very much for joining and I hope to see you in two weeks time again.